This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Drinking with Authors, the Literary Briefs Edition. I am your host, Erica Lance. My co-host today is C.R. Rice. And our amazing guest is Julie Valerie. Woo! Woo! Having me. I am um, in the middle of the second one of these hibiscus lime tart ales. It's actually by, I should say who it's by, Innovation Brewing. It's got a really pretty can. And if you're on YouTube, you can see the can. Okay. (laughs) CR, what are you drinking? I am drinking Powerade and vodka. Like a boss. It's called How to Wake Up in the Morning Without a Hangover. Okay, Julie, what mm-hmm. are you drinking? Got a glass of uh, red wine, Pinot Noir. Ghostwriter is on the label. Ghostwriter, the 2018, uh, Santa Cruz County, California. Very cool. Yeah. Okay. And themed. Okay, rapid fire <laughs> questions. You ready? Ready. Okay. What is your favorite book of all time? Winnie the Pooh. Oh, why? Um, I read it when I was in college and I had long stopped. I had long since given up on the idea that stuffed animals were real and that they would actually talk to me. I got lost in the, uh, in the black ink on the white paper. The story was amazing. The characters came to life. I couldn't believe that I was being conned into believing that these were real characters, but they absolutely were through the magical, you know, fictional reality of the pages. And when that wrapped up and Christopher Robin said goodbye to Winnie the Pooh and I was crying, I was like, what has just happened to me I was a jaded college student in my 20s and I was like this is just not happening am I really believing that stuffed animals are talking to me again because that was a part of my life when I was a child and I long left the 100 acre wood of my childhood but here I am through fiction believing again in stuffed animals talking and I thought it was magic there was an alchemy that happened and I was like whatever this is whatever crafting a story is I need to figure out how it's done and how you get somebody so convinced through the reading that there's actually all these stuffed animals and they all have their personalities and stuff. It's, it's a beautiful piece of fiction. It's not what Disney picked up and produced. What I was reading was the original from Alan Alexander Milne, the original Winnie the Pooh from, you know, the actual original story. I loved it. Yeah. And I decided to be a writer. I, that's when I got serious and said, I want to learn the craft of fiction. I want to be a fiction writer. I want to, I want to learn what this is. That is awesome. Okay, what is your least favorite book of all time? I don't have one. I appreciate all books for for what they are. I would say probably for me, if I didn't like the book, I just was the wrong reader for that book. I'm sure it's the right reader for somebody else. Um, do you yeah. finish books all the time? I do not. I don't know. Life is short and I've got so much going on. So if it's not a match <laughs> for me, if it's not a match for me, I understand that it's just not written for me. There are so many amazing books out there. And so I'll just find a book that um, speaks to me. And so, no, I'm okay stopping. I'm okay passing it on. But I, I won't speak bad of a book. I won't. I don't think that's good karma. I wouldn't do it. That makes sense. Um, are you, um, do you like paper books or do you like print books? I love paper. I love smelling the books. I like it in my hands. I do read on my um, on my phone and I do read ebooks, but nothing beats the physical, the real thing. I also love audiobooks. So I guess I'm consuming all different types, all the all the different formats. Um, they're really good for different points in your life. You can drive, you can listen to a book while driving. So I wouldn't want to give up the audiobook, 
When I crawl in bed at night and the lights are out, I can't read the paperback. So I enjoy reading the ebook. But then again, phones run out of batteries. And sometimes it's just good to be outside in the fresh outdoors with the actual thing and holding the book in the paper. So I mean, holding the book in your hands. So I think that I'm super grateful to have all the formats and I incorporate them in my life according to the situation. Very cool. Is your book an audio book? It is. My book is on um, Audible and it is available in um, audio. It's in uh, 350 libraries, 400, but there's libraries. And so they, yeah, so they come in paperback and then in physical audio, but it's also available on Audible. They're available um, in worldwide in English speaking languages. So Canada, the United States, United Kingdom, Australia. Very um, cool. Yeah, published through Lake Union Publishing. Um, Alicia Clancy is my amazing editor and my agent is Joelle Del Borgo and I sing their praises. They're great. Awesome. Chelsea, yeah. what's your question? If you had three wishes, what would they be? Three wishes. Um, and it can't be more wishes or right, right, anything right. like that. Okay. Does it have to be? Genie rule. Okay. Okay. And it has to be literary related or like? No. No. Anything. Oh, okay. Three wishes. Um, I wish, I wish young people didn't die. <laughs> I wish we could all reach the age of a hundred before we ever had to face that reality. I wish we lived longer than a hundred, but I wish that we could all live securely to the age of a hundred, not fearing that or experiencing that, especially for young people. So I would wish for longevity. Um, I would wish for more kindness in the world um, to tip the balance towards you know, the light and goodness instead of darkness, I would wish for um, the basic needs for everybody to be met so that everybody would know the blessing of shelter, clothing and food on the table. Very, very cool. Um, what is your favorite book to movie or TV show? What is your favorite book they've taken and made into a movie or TV show? My favorite script to TV would be Downton Abbey, but I didn't get to read the script, I think, until I don't even think they published that until after the whole movie had played out. That script is amazing. Um, I've marked that thing up and it's wonderful to read that. So book to movie. So probably The Hunger Games, because at the time my daughter read them multiple times. I read them. I She gave me the first book. And I as soon as Katniss volunteered as tribute for to protect her sister, I was like, oh, my God, I sat down and I read all the books. They were just amazing. And we went to the movies dressed like people in the Capitol. And I actually prepared food that matched the storyline. So I took brown paper bags and like scuffed them up and made them all super soft and crumpled and stuff. And I put in there um, like basil wrapped um, uh, goat cheese wrapped with basil leaves because I think she eats that. And then um, there's a scene with her with Rue and they're eating like really greasy a goose or something that they had hunted. I can't quite remember. So I had that in there. We didn't buy popcorn. We didn't buy sodas. I had like nuts and dried fruit and the kind of things that they would have to eat while they're trying to survive. And so we sat into the, it was sat in the movie theater and basically ate the food out of the stories from the different chapters. And we were all dressed like the cap people in the Capitol and our hair and like we had our makeup and everything else. And it was just a blast with my daughter and a bunch of her friends. And I remember when we were getting ready to go into the theater, I said, you know what? This is so exciting. We've been waiting for this movie, but it's a little bit sad too, because Katniss Everdeen exists in all of our minds as a separate person. Like we have our own individual idea of what she looks like. District 13 
looks different in my mind than it does their minds. And I knew that when we went through that threshold and we saw it on the big screen, the Katniss that was in my head when I was the reader has now become the actress Katniss. So I love watch, I love when books go to screen, but I also recognize that it converts the characters into one, one character, one world. District 13, now in my mind, if I were to reread the books, I would see it the way I saw it on the film and I would see Katniss the way she is on the film. And so the, a little something gets lost when a book goes to screen. I do believe the book is always better, but I also think that um, it is interesting that we all get narrowed into, now there's one Katniss for everybody. There's one Harry Potter. Uh, you know, and you think about some of these wildly interesting stories and wildly interesting characters that we've grown to love. There's now, like I said, there's one Harry Potter, there's one Katniss Everdeen, and we all have the same one. We have that character the world over in our minds. So I think a little something is lost when a book goes to screen. No, I, I, a lot is lost when a book goes to screen because a screenplay is 90 pages and a book is hundreds of pages. Yeah. And yeah, no, you, you can't tell an entire book in a screenplay or even in a, a, a series, I think. Um, are, so you said you have a murder board. I'm documenting that for the police later. But um, <laughs> so you plot, you've plotted out how many books? I have, uh, well, about 10. But I would say once you get around to book seven-ish, they get really loose they're not very well formed the ones that are closer they're closer to me in terms of chron chronology of when i'm going to tackle them next are more developed i think because it's on the horizon um so yeah when this series came the name of the series is the village of prim series and it's based on a town and so the town has a lot of different people in it. So it's not a series based on one person and one person's journey. There's a village full of people and they're all connected and they all have their, their secrets, their mysteries. Um, and so um, it just naturally flew. When I was figuring out what all of their backstories were, I went uh, just deep enough in their backstories when I realized this could fill a whole novel. This could fill a whole novel and that's connected to this and da, 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 da. And then I realized that what I was wanting to do was write a series instead of a standalone. Um, that there was more to say than just the first book. Um, and so, but you can't pull that off. You have to seed things that are coming up in future books and drop little seeds as you go along so that when the reader is reading the story in book four or five, which has not been written yet, they'll, re they, they'll know this person by now and they'll remember little things that were dropped along the way. So I have 30 poster boards that go around my wall and the top half of the poster board is where I write all my notes of the current story that I'm writing. I use a lot of yellow post-it notes. Bottom half of the poster board, I have these little boxes that represent the future books. And so when I know I know what's coming up in future books and I make sure with a yellow stick them to develop a little seed from a future book and I place it on the top half where I need to so that when the time comes to tell the story of the third book or the fourth book or the whatever, I've already dropped the seeds in previous books. Um, so that's part of the murder board for me. Um, but also I just am kind of a, I'm just kind of a nerd about things. I like going super meta on things. And I do like studying the craft of fiction and the hero's journey and story structure and script writing and stuff. So I enjoy seeing how things are built. And so it just naturally led to murder board type of things. And probably people on, on YouTube might not know what we're talking about murder board. The concept oh. in... Um, the concept in with there's like a murder mystery or something where the they'd often put up like pictures and newspaper clippings and then they would draw lines when they're trying to like solve a crime. It's like that, but I have that connecting people within the village 
and all of the things that happened and when they happened. You have to keep track of a lot. People's ages, you know, when things took place. There's a lot of logistics to make sure you've got locked down. No, totally. I agree. Um, when you're, so your first book that you burned in a fire, in a pyre, I'm going to actually call it a pyre now. I think it was burned in a pyre. <laughs> um, did you, um, what was that book about? That book was about a commercial, about an asparagus farmer, an organic asparagus farmer in Michigan. And it was, it evolved into so many different directions. I ended up not pursuing it. It was a book that I wrote a long time ago. Um, and it also involved offshore um, asparagus farming. And then it became um, asparagus canning operations that came in and there was drugs instead of um, asparagus inside of the asparagus containers and she uncovers it and there's a drug cartel and then she's running across the border and blah, blah, blah. But it opens with her just being a small scale asparagus farmer in oh, Michigan. Okay. And I have to ask. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I know. That's why the book will never see the light of day. It was just like, it became but just this. How did you arrive at that premise? Not that it's, I'm just like, I'm going to write about asparagus farmers. Like, I don't even know how yeah. I have that conversation. Well, it's really <laughs> funny. So um, there, there's a trade agreement, I guess about the time of NAFTA or different trade agreements. Sometimes the um, countries will get favored nation status and the, like the U S government will give favored nation status. We'll give um, certain <coughs> benefits to countries that are developing. And, but what it often does is shut down an industry here in the States so a lot of basically it wrapped up a lot of asparagus farming in the United States went into crisis mode, as did a lot of other farming um, in America. My family's from the Midwest. My dad was a farmer and everything else, not asparagus and not Michigan, but I have farmers in my in my my extended family. And so uh, some of it came from the pain of farmers when the price of, for example, asparagus is more affordable for the grocery stores to bring it in from Central America and South America than to get it locally. So it was kind of a local farm to table um, trade route, you know, drug cartel across the border. There was a narco submarine in the storyline. She was running and she had to cross the border and there was, you know, then the, and then there's a DEA and blah, and then there's a ankle in a jar that was delivered to her like crazy stuff. She used to um, put her like time capsules in Mason jars and bury them on the farm. And it just, it just, the story got away from me. This is like I said, the, the book that I learned to write <laughs> basically by making mistakes and the story just got too big and it should, it just didn't need to see the light of day, but yeah. Wow. Okay. I mean, I, I kind of want to read about this. asparagus gangsters. Yeah. I was <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, you never know. It was so badass to be an asparagus farmer, but it's badass. Yeah, I am going to change farmer. professions. Screw this podcasting crap yeah. and writing and publishing. <laughs> I am going to go be an asparagus gangster. Asparagus, I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm going to send people fucking jars of ankles and be like, yeah. what? how are you doing? Bring it. Bring it. You like that asparagus? Here's an ankle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. better goodness. pay for your asparagus or I'll take your ankles. Yeah. yeah. I can't really remember. There's a tattoo on the ankle. I can't really remember. The tattoo. I don't know. This is how bad it was. This is a long time ago. Um, the, I can't remember. It wasn't like the combination to a safety deposit box. I can't remember what it was, but the whole thing about the ankle was there was a tattoo on the ankle that was part of the unraveling of the plot. <laughs> yeah. So, wow. Okay. Wow. That was yeah. deep. That literally, 
it, ankle it, in the jar turns it, all it day. Burned. Yeah. Um, Chelsea, over to you, my friend. What's yours? Well, I was going to ask, like, do you research when you write? But like, you clearly do because you just said that you went into everything. So, what is your worst habit that you have when you're writing? When I'm writing, or in general, whichever yeah, one worst, is better. Yeah, worst habit. I'm mean to myself. I need to be kinder. I'm very critical. Uh, there's, I've got a certificate in editing from the people that produce the Chicago Manual of Style. So that was probably not a good thing for me to do, simply because. Um, I can just hyperanalyze the sentence too much. And I think I can spend too much time moving the words around in the sentence and too much time in the paragraph. And I often think to myself, did I make the paragraph better? The, you know, the 30 minutes I was working on it, or was it fine the way it was? You know, I'm constantly asking myself, like, get up and out of this paragraph and move on to the next one. But that comes from just intuitively. I just love writing. I like words. I love language. I like exploring things. And so I think I can needle down too much. Um, I can be, I need to be kinder to myself because I can, I all think, well, this isn't ready yet, or this isn't good enough yet. So keep working on it. And it probably is, it probably is just fine if I could just let it go a little bit. So I would say, and I think a lot of writers have this issue. Um, you, you, you've got your right brain, the right side of your brain, the left side of your brain, and one is analytical and one is creative. And very few things require both hemispheres to be working and communicating, but you need to be creative right brain while you're writing. And you have to be analytical left brain because you're working with grammar and sentence structure and parts of speech and everything else. So you have to use the analytical structure that you would you'd access on your left hemisphere to make it work on the page, but you need to, you don't want to compromise the right side with the creative energy and the voice and the fluid things and the things that, you know, language and, and creative thought, et cetera. So they've got to be firing at the same time. They've got to be communicating. Um, and I would think that sometimes I lean in one direction versus the other. And so it's like finding a balance. Um, and honoring the process. Do you write reviews? I wrote, I used to, I read and reviewed 200 books in my genre while I was writing this book. So that was part of my market research and learning, you know, the industry and, or learning, you know, comp titles and learning what was on the, what was on the shelves and what was selling and stuff. And I loved it, except that really quickly, my, my reading life became dictated to me. I had, I had a deadline now that had to do with reading and this review was due at a particular time. And so sometimes I was reading faster than I wanted to because I needed to get the review written. And it also, my reading life consumed my writing time. And so I needed to say, stop, I would love to help everybody that's got a book coming out and I want to, you know, support you in any way I can. And, and reviews are very important to writers, but I was also trying to write my book. And so there was a couple of authors that I reviewed multiple books of theirs. And I thought, holy shit, I've just reviewed three of her books and I'm not done with mine yet. Why is that? Because I'm reading and reviewing everybody else's and I'm not protecting my writing life. And so there was a time when I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like if I, I, what if I'm hit by a truck? What if my last day is tomorrow? Um, I'm, I'm tired. I burned out. And like I said, my reading life was no longer my own. Um, I was doing it really from a soulful place of kindness of wanting to help others, but I wasn't helping myself. And I had to claim my, my goals. Like, why was it not? Why did I let that happen? Why did I allow myself to work really hard on behalf of others at the at the expense of myself, which sounds dramatic. I wish I hadn't even said that last sentence, because it's not that does sounds really dramatic. But honestly, there was a lot my husband was like, you're doing a lot of reading and not a lot of writing. 
Um, you know, I was writing sometimes five and seven reviews a day, which means I'd wake up and have to read the book. And I also too, didn't skim. Like I also was like, if I'm going to write a review, I'm going to read this book and I'm going to know this book and I'm going to do right by this author and do my very best at the review. And it wasn't just a little paragraph review or three sentences. No, it was like a thoughtful review of this book that just spent five to six hours reading. And I just was like, I got lost in it too much and I needed to shut it down. Wow. Yeah, no, it seems like when you grab a hold of a project, you go so you far down really the way do sometimes. It. <laughs> I guess, like, yeah. I should chill oh, out. Yeah, because wow. Wow. You're like, yeah. I'm created and I have this. And I'm like, wow, she goes way farther than I'll go on almost anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I need to chill out, don't I? I'm a pretty relaxed person. I might be in this hour coming across <laughs> really intense, but for them, I'm, I'm a pretty chill person, but I a guess a pretty chill person does not read and review 200 books to write their book. A pretty chill person does not do. That. Yeah. See, I, I always say I like something until I find out somebody else likes the same thing. And then I'm like, you know what? Maybe I don't really like it that much. Yeah. Yeah. I was also thinking like, oh, I want to be a good literary citizen. I want to be a good neighbor in this world. I want to be, you know, a part of the book world and like do my part for others and stuff. And I genuinely liked a lot of these authors and I liked the And I, you know, liked the books and stuff like that. Um, it was really difficult too. a couple of times when I, the book just didn't resonate with me. So that was also really difficult for me as well. So, I mean, it is challenging. And um, but I was on the reviewer side which is really interesting. Um, it's, it's a good place to be, to spend. I, I did that from 2013 to 2015 and it became almost a full-time gig. <laughs> I mean. This is what I mean by this of, is not a chill person. I know, I know, I know, I, I know. There's a difference between doing some research for your project and starting a career as you're trying to do your project. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how I got myself into it. Maybe I didn't realize. Maybe I was just, I was the fool in the hero's journey. I didn't know what I was getting into. And I was like, yeah, sure. I love reading. I, mean, I think a lot of writers do love reading. I mean, shoot, you go on Instagram and there's some incredibly prolific books, book reviewers. They are, they are reading a shit ton of books. And I, I love and respect every single bookstagrammer. Some of my most beloved friends are over there and I know the burnout is real and they're not getting paid for this you know they might you have to put the disclosure saying that you received a copy of the book in exchange for an honest review and it's like look you know just because the publisher sent you a book in no way compensates you for the five or six hours it took you to read it and the two hours it took you to write a review so it's like you know it's crazy but i understand the ethics too you can't really pay a book reviewer because then if you're paying them did you pay them to say what they said and so i get it however a lot of hours are put into some, you know, some of this effort. And I could never imagine being on Bookstagram and making a gorgeous picture. And yet they do. These people are the unsung heroes. I don't know how they make such beautiful things. And, you know, you can't pay them, but I'm like, somebody should. It's they're doing a, an incredible thing. Well, they also get access to a ton of books that they like to read. A lot of the, the best book reviewers are people that are so hungry that if they had to buy the amount of books that they actually sure. read, they would spend so yeah. much money. And whether you buy it or you get it given to you, it's the same crapshoot on whether or not that book's going to be any good. Right. Yeah. Or whether the book's going to, yeah, be a match for you. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Last question, Chelsea. All right. If you were out somewhere, nobody else is around, you find 
couple grand on the floor. What do you do with it? Oh gosh. Well, there's um, nobody around. So it's not nobody's like around. Nobody's I, around. It's not like you saw somebody drop it. No. It's not like, let's say you were on the Appalachian trail, like you were hiking, right? Nobody's around you. Nobody's doing anything. What would you do with it? Okay. So it sounds like you're not wanting me to say that I would try to find the rightful owner first right. before I did anything with it. Okay. <laughs> so I probably would, but I, but so I would, I would only because I do fear karma that if I didn't try to find the person that lost the thousand, couple thousand that over the course of my lifetime, multiply that by 10, I would lose that amount. Oh, but I just would try to help or whatever, try to find the person. But if I couldn't find the person, what would I do with that money? Um, I don't know. I mean, this is going to sound poly. I don't know. I mean, it wasn't mine anyways. I maybe I might consider giving it to somebody that could use it because I didn't have, it wasn't mine five minutes before I found it. It's not like I earned it. I just found it. There's probably somebody who needs it. That's a possibility. I know you're like, shut up, shut up. Um, <laughs> no, I, no, I, it's, it's great. It's, it's, just, thing. it's, it's yeah. it is a good thing. I mean, a lot of people are put into positions where they have that moment to decide. I mean, look how many books we write over that moment to decide between yeah. what, what they're right and what they're wrong and what their moral compass is. The best bad guys that are ever written are written because they don't think they're bad. Like right. the best mm -hmm. bad guys do not think they're evil assholes. They think yeah. they're doing right by themselves and what it should be. So I think yeah. And it's, a, it's an anomaly. So if you were to just stumble upon a few thousand dollars, that's such a strange thing to happen that I think I would probably figure out how should I handle the situation a little bit more than if I just, you know, like if it was, I don't know, like, how did it get there? Where did it come from? My, it would trigger my brain thinking like, who's here? Did they drop it? Did they? Well, I mean, it? I don't mean like in a bank bundle. I mean, yeah. like, let's say you ventured off to camp or something and there's like a super old bag right there that has yeah. clearly been there for years, but somebody gotcha. just said screw it. Yeah. Um, I might put it towards an Airstream base camp trailer. Um, there you I, go. Yeah. I, I would love to use it for travel. I probably travel. There's a couple of places on my bucket list that I'd like to see. Um, books for sure. Wine for sure. Um, yeah, if I came upon the money, travel, and I would like I would like to someday have a an air like a RV camper kind of thing, van life kind of thing. Want to maybe convert a Sprinter van? So I'd probably put it towards that because they're pretty expensive or a tiny house. So I'd probably start my next journey or like put it towards something practical like the van or the tiny house or and then the little bit of the wanderlust of the travel. I'd probably I like spend it. it. Um, yeah yeah okay so that's my answer van life travel that's what I put it <laughs> it's a super it's a funny answer, answer. Yeah. perfect answer yeah okay well we are near the end of the podcast Julie the book you wrote is Holly Banks full of angst and the sequel is the peculiar fate of Holly Banks they're both part of the village of prim series produced by uh, Lake Union Publishing awesome and how do people find you uh, JulieValerie.com. My website's a great place to start. Perfect. You've been so much fun to have on the show. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Okay, guys, this has been Drinking with Authors Literary Briefs, and we all were wearing our underwear for it. So it was awesome. I've been your host, Erica Lance. My co-host has been C.R. Rice and our amazing guest, Julie Valerie, and we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.